0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Tanya Jong. Tanya's an inspirational speaker, singer, businesswoman, and social entrepreneur who's founded a number of successful businesses and started three charities. Tanya performs, speaks, and presents leadership workshops around the world. Tanya, thanks so much for making the time to have this chat with me today. I've read now a lot about the work you've been doing, and what I can't get my head around is how you actually fit in everything you do, which I'm really excited to cover you know, that with you in this in this chat, but you know, I want to say thank you for coming on. And uh, first question, I guess, how have you been, and how have you been handling the current situation?
0: Look, it's been uh, you know a terrible situation for uh, for everyone, and um, who would have predicted that anything like this would ever happen uh, in a country like Australia, and particularly you know in Victoria, the the situation with curfews and the lockdown and um the police presence is really concerning uh it's creating a, a terrible amount of fear and uncertainty for people and um all the, ch- the kids who can't go to school and and you know have their normal social communication and and they're learning together and you know and some of whom have to be in houses with you know, parents who may be in abusive relationships. And so, yeah, so I just, uh, I worry about what this is going to to mean to the longer term mental health consequences. I mean, we were obviously in a major mental health crisis before COVID and before the bushfires, uh, but this current situation A number of experts are predicting that the the statistics, which were already terrible, you know, we had one in five Australians with a mental illness, one in eight on antidepressants, one in four older adults on antidepressants, kids as young as five being given antidepressants, rising suicide rate and so on. And some experts are saying that these figures may go up, you know, by 30% or more. Some people say the suicide rate may go up 25 to 50% more and every percentage point of unemployment um, then also triggers what's called deaths of despair and that's a a known statistic that's been modelled and and has, you know, come to pass in in the US and other places. So, uh, yeah, I'm just really praying that uh, we start to see some sense... Taking place, uh, we start to protect our elders, absolutely, on the people in aged care homes, but that people can be allowed to go back to their lives and their work and their livelihoods, and and start to reconnect. Because at the end of the day, as you well know, you know you run a mental health podcast and program, and you know that disconnection really is at the heart of pretty much all mental illness and yeah. so that the more disconnected and isolated that people feel you know the more quickly the mental illness um, incidence and severity rises so um so what we're seeing now is um, people feeling more and more disconnected more isolated more separate from other people and we're seeing a lot of people who've not had mental illness before, starting to feel triggered mm-hmm. by the current situation and starting to feel unwell mentally. And, you know, I'm I'm a fairly stable person, but I've got to say it's been testing me. And I think part of it is just um, the news, you know, the media cycle, the constant fear that is created by the media, these sensationalist headlines that mean that people are scared and you know a lot of people believe what they read and um, and they don't really discern what's being said to them and they just take it as read. so it's it's hard because I think what everyone needs to do at the moment is is needs to look at what's beyond the headlines and really start to investigate the truth and to think about ways as a society that we can create a healthier and happier and more inclusive society coming out of this
1: yeah I mean everything you're saying I I agree with and I think you know this absolute dramatisation of it and again like you said and you know we have to be do the right thing and of of course it needs to be taken seriously but it is it's seven, and a lot of people don't monitor you know they're not probably not having don't have the self-awareness even to try and monitor the amount of uh, media they're consuming and being able to decipher what's right, what's wrong, what's real, what's not but also I feel like the these this extremism um, is talking about it like there's going to be a uh, solution you know by the end of the year or you know this could go on for a long time so there has to be that there has to be a happy medium where, let's take it. Let's do the right thing, but also how do we find a way to actually live through this and have some form of quality of life? I was, I was saying the other day, like you stated in that, if you wanted to basically put ingredients together to make someone become depressed, what people are being asked to do right now would be a pretty good formula. Absolutely. <laughs> it's right. like, there's there's yes, just no yeah.
0: question about it. It's like we have to learn to live with this. And, yeah. you know, people need to to understand that Um, you know, to protect the vulnerable in our society, we don't need to lock everyone else up. And we need to understand that by locking everyone up, we're going to exacerbate any mental illness problem that exists, you know, exponentially. But not only that, it's not even those ones that exist, as I say, it's all the ones that didn't exist. You know, many of us didn't have mental health issues before this crisis. But because this is so extreme and the measures that are being taken are so extreme without really solid rationale behind them that uh, people are starting to question. And and there's a lot of anger in the community as well. There's an enormous amount of anger that's starting to bubble up about our freedoms, our liberties, um, you know, just this; these are basic human rights issues, um, and it seems inconceivable that in a country as advanced as Australia, that we can't be protecting the people who need protection and allowing other people to get back to their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a pretty um complicated situation, isn't it? And it's um, but it is it is scary. You know, the the mental health side of things is really really scary, and and I just you know. I feel like there just is no – it's not being looked at properly in a long-term point of view that what is this going to do to people's mentality, not just in this short term, and it's not just about, okay, like can someone mentally survive this current lockdown or whatever happens next? It's like, well, what is this going to do to people in a year's time, two years, five years, ten years? Well, particularly particularly
0: young people. I mean, so, you know, the concept of – PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma, is that, you know, as young people, we are we can be traumatised without even knowing it so that, you know, kids experience a trauma. So that could be that a policeman comes to knock at the door and mum and dad are afraid and so the child doesn't even necessarily know what's happening but they pick up on the, the fear and they pick up on the uncertainty and they pick up on this um, repression that's occurring, the repression of our human rights, and they pick up on that. And so that starts to create, um, that changes, you know, a young person's brain chemistry. And so that young people can be traumatised without us even knowing it, not necessarily even by these things, by a whole range of things. But given, you know, the incidence of this, you know, we've got, Five million or more people in Melbourne locked up at the moment. Many people in tiny little spaces, um, you know, with parents, as I say, who may, there may be domestic violence. Uh, the parents may have lost their jobs or their businesses. They may be severely depressed themselves. And of course, that then affects the children. The children aren't going to their normal places like school and, um, places where they could get some support as well and just have some more normality. And so, you know, I absolutely predict that in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, as these children who are between the ages of zero and say seven now, who are getting uh, this fear coming through their DNA, that that is going to play out in significant ways. unless we're able to provide enough mental health support to all this generation who's being affected by this. And I'm not sure that we have the skills, the tools, the time, <laughs> the resources. And I actually think it's it's also hard to diagnose that sort of thing. It, it comes up in funny ways, you know, it affects people's relationships, their ability to be as productive at work as they could be. It affects their memory, language and concentration in different ways. So these are things that... Suddenly, you know a kid who might have been doing really well at school um then all of a sudden starts not to um that you know they might have gone on really well with their peers and family, but then all of a sudden they're not, and they they're isolated um so there's a whole lot of different ways that this affects people, and then there's also the concept of intergenerational trauma, and you know obviously parents who are severely traumatised at the moment, um, you know, who maybe don't even have children yet, you know, if they're about to have children or whatever, they they may then also pass some of that trauma and fear on to, you know, future <laughs> children to be born. Or there, There's so many ways that this affects us. And, I mean, I know this well because, you know, I'm the daughter and granddaughter of Holocaust survivors and, of course, that's an extreme example of fear and repression and um loss of of life and and um belongings and and everything but i can say to you that you know one of the key reasons why i set up mind medicine australia and also why my husband did was that both of us are you know have been affected by by trauma in our lives and and particularly intergenerational trauma um and that can go on for many generations until the cycle is stopped
1: <laughs> yeah. you know yeah yeah definitely um and i mean i think just you know the topics you're raising there we could probably talk for hours just on that i mean and i'd like to go into it more but um you know what and it's like what you said earlier with before this isn't just a covid problem before covid there all these problems exist you know where we are not educated properly about mental health and properly understanding things and like you were saying all these intangible things that get swept under the rug or get blamed on different things or we're told to just you know get over it or push through or whatever it is it's much more complicated and deeper and you know but this all boils down to you know um it's a societal issue that is so embedded in how uh the world's structured that it's so complicated to change in a short amount of time so it's yeah it's a it's a very uh you know big sort of well to go down to look at how to how to how does that all get changed but I completely agree with what you're saying and um would you be able to give a background on yourself sort of where you've come from how you've got to what you're doing now and I mean we just don't have enough time to do you know (laughs) because you've done so much but just to give the listener an understanding of you know who you are and what you've come from and you know what you're doing
0: sure so um yeah so i'm a soprano as well so i sing yes i sing um and i have performed throughout for many decades um in australia and around the world i have a group called potpourri i also sing with them um, I'm a social entrepreneur, so I'm a serial social entrepreneur, so Mind Medicine Australia is my third charity. The first one is uh, The Song Room, which brings music and creative learning to children and disadvantaged schools around Australia, so it's reached about a million kids, helping with um, their self-esteem, numeracy and literacy skills and so on, through a greater um, access and participation in, in creativity and Arts. And then the second charity is Creativity Australia and the With One Voice program, which I founded uh, nearly 12 years ago, which brings together haves and have-nots, so fortunate people and less fortunate people, so lawyers, doctors, teachers, retirees with migrants, people with depression and disabilities, job seekers, age from Mm -hmm. 9 to 90 of all faiths and backgrounds in social inclusion, choirs. In, on a weekly basis, we have about 30 of those around Australia and all states and territories. And we not only share the incredible neuroscientific benefits of singing, which I talk about a lot in my TED talk, how singing together changes the brain, but we also share supper and a wish list program and people can make wishes to one another for what they need in life. So it might be help with a job, resume, accommodation, partner. And the wishes are read out at the choirs and people start granting one another's wishes. And we've had well over 4,000 wishes granted, which has led to marriages, jobs, work experience, mentoring, you know, you name it, it's its happened. Um, and, um, of course, the neuroscientific benefits of singing are also profound in terms of increasing neuroplasticity of the brain, improving memory, language, concentration and so on. So that's been a great charity. In addition to that... Um, I do a lot of speaking, Uh, so I I present keynote speeches generally all over the world. This year has been a bit of an odd one because I I had speeches and performances booked literally all over the world in the US, Europe, all of it had to, you know, was postponed or cancelled. But I'm still doing a lot of a lot of public facing work. I've I've been doing a lot of webinars, podcasts. Um, We've been running a webinar series with Mind Medicine as well, and. Um, you know, and I've I've tried to um make sure that I don't completely lose all my creative outlets, and that's one of the great dangers of this period of time, um because you know if you're, if you're a performer, this period of time has been particularly bad, uh because you know this you can't go out and perform and, you know there's nowhere to perform and, um so actually I made a, a lockdown um album with my friend Anthony Barnhill, who's a wonderful musical director and composer, and I'm reading eight really famous poems by Rumi, Khalil Gibran, Tagore and others, um which he set music to. So and it's called Solitary Harmony. So Solitary Harmony is um my new album created out of lockdown. <laughs>
1: it's amazing. Yeah. 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 That's so great because like you're saying, you know, the creative industry is um, has been so deeply affected and um, I, outside of the work I do in mental health, I pursue acting and, um, you know, that's been really tough not being able to go and do that. Um, I mean, I've been doing auditions where you have someone reading to you over Zoom, so it's a weird thing, but, um, you know, you got to find ways to stay creative. But uh, it's one of the questions I wanted to ask you because I think it's... it's um, so so important, and there's such a, you know, the world's moving so far away from creativity. And I listened to your TED talk where you talked about um, singing and, you know, creativity for helping us, you know, grow and opening our mind and just all the positive benefits. And I'm just such a big believer in that as well. And I find that the same with acting. You know, you go and do that, and it gives you so much more perspective about yourself, other people, the world. It opens up your mind. It opens up other possibilities. And we're I don't feel I feel like there's nowhere near enough creativity in the world. Um what what are your thoughts on, you know, creativity and uh where where we're at, I guess, in society with that?
0: Well, you know, like I mean, and this yeah, I mean, creativity is in short supply. I mean, some people have said creativity is the most endangered species of the twenty first century. Some famous futurists said that because we have, you know, um we have all this space, you know, we have all this space online and we have all this space to put content, but there's actually a real dearth of original content and ideas. You know, a lot of what's up there is just copying what's already there. So what we need to try and do is, is give people back um, that sense that we are actually all creative. Like all of us were born creative. Picasso has a famous quote on that, you know, we're all born creative um but we tend to lose that as we as we mature and different societal impacts felt from family from school you know we get taught to sort of think in a box and stay stuck in those little boxes I talk about that in my TED talk as well and I really believe that you know life really happens between the boxes so on the bridges between the boxes where we spend time with our loved ones walk in nature where we are unleashing more of our creativity and by creativity i don't necessarily mean the arts or anything like that i just mean that we're thinking differently about solutions and problems you know so a lot of creativity is just thinking about the solutions to problems in new, and different ways so you know one of the things i'd say to people is you know don't just let the government tell you how we're going to solve this problem think about how we're going to solve it ourselves you know like you know we can all be a collective community and we can actually work out how to solve a lot of problems and that is creativity just as much as singing a song or writing a poem or you know uh-huh. being an actor or cooking a beautiful meal these are all great things and we all need to do things that stimulate our creativity but solving problems is a very good way of using our innate creativity and i don't think there's anyone out there who hasn't got an ability to solve problems if they really want to. But if if we keep, you know, asking other people to solve all our problems for us, we start to become less and less creative. And um, other people end up really telling us how we're going to live our lives and, Mm -hmm. and that creates a lot of resentment for people. And that, of course, is a source of mental illness as well, is when people are not really living... Uh, their fully realised selves. I call it finding your voice. I don't just mean your singing voice but you find your true voice to be able to speak about issues that matter to you and write about them and talk about them and ask the right questions. My grandmother was very famous at that. She was the inventor of the original foldable umbrella which was patented the flirt in Vienna in 1929. And She famously asked a lot of questions. What if I did this today? Why not try that? You know, imagine if... You know, so I really strongly encourage people to to ask questions um, and to be as curious as possible. Uh, And, you know, we think that people, authority figures, have all the answers, but that's just not necessarily true. We all have the answers between us.
1: well exactly no one's better or worse than the other person and um i you know what what i think the the difficult thing is and it it terrifies me and it's a big part of why i do the work that i do in mental health i I could have easily um from you know insecurities i had and um from you know negative things happening and, and losing confidence and Become putting you feeling like you have to be in a box. I could have easily stayed in there, and I had to push myself to the point where you know I'd be vomiting, talking in front of two people. Um And now I, you know, I do public speaking, sort of, as part of my career now as well. And but what fear yeah. your fear and do
0: it anyway, right?
1: Absolutely, you know, it's the only way to to grow. But the you know the the scary thing about it is there's so many people that will probably go through their whole life not doing that because and not because there's anything wrong with them because like what you said we live in a society where they're told do this don't do that they're put in a box they're not given that facility to ever explore that and if that goes on long enough someone will just feel like okay i don't have a choice and everyone does so it's like how do we how do we change that well that's Um, right
0: well that's when people feel like their life is out of their own control Um, and a lot of people are feeling like that at the moment and and that's very hard because we need to actually say to people you have permission to ask questions Mm -hmm. you have permission to challenge the status quo you have permission to come up with solutions yourself to any particular challenge um and you have permission to unleash as much of your creativity as possible and you should um and don't you know don't let anyone else in the world tell you how you should run your life um because at the end of the day you only get one chance and you know and most of this life the beauty of this life is being able to experience it in its fullness and you can't do that if you're constantly living by someone else's rules all the time
1: yeah because these rules are kind of weird it's like who decided these rules are there it's like well uh there's no such thing as you know where things a lot of the teaching is that is black and white that unless you do x or achieve x or have this sort of lifestyle or make x amount of money you know that's apparently successful but hang on how how about if that doesn't make me feel good or happy and I you know want to do something else well it's up to us to define what we think success is and how we want to live our life
0: success is different for every one of us and um you know and it's wonderful when we can live by our own values not by other people's values
1: (laughs) yeah so how did you find that difficult yourself to you know, it sounds like you've always, you know, from what I've learnt about you, anyway, um, sounds like you've always gone and done your own thing. Um, was that difficult for you? Um,
0: you know, I come from an incredibly um, progressive, I guess, family that, you know, is made up of creative thinkers and and people who, you know, my parents always just wanted me to do what I I love to do and. To, You know, yeah, they they liked the fact that I did a Bachelor of Law with Honours and it was a good thing to have as a backup. But when it came down to it and when I said, you know, I wanted to to be a singer, for example, well, they were very supportive. You know, every charity I've set up, you know, they might go, oh, it's going to be a lot of work, darling, but, you know, whatever you think you want to do, you do. And so my parents have been very, very supportive about... Whatever path I've wanted to take, they haven't necessarily always agreed, and they've thought that I've taken some really hard choices. Certainly, um, I've taken some of the the, low, the roads less traveled. That's one of the poems on my solitary solitary harmony uh, album, which is the road less traveled, and oh, great poem. You know, two roads diverged in a in a wood, and I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. And yeah. so it's really important, I think, to encourage people to take the roads less travelled. Um, and, you know, yeah, look, you know, we all generally, you know, it's it's wonderful to have wonderful family support, but that doesn't mean that our parents know what's best for us as individuals. Um, and hopefully they certainly have our best interests at heart and want us to have a great life. But, you know, for each and every human being, um, I think that we need... Space and time to grow and develop and work out what it is that really turns us on and um, sets the world on fire. And wherever possible, I encourage people to think about whatever they do and whatever they love to do, how it can then make a difference back into the community.
1: Yeah. So it's not yeah. just
0: for your own gain, financial or otherwise, but you're actually helping and, and helping other people as well to fulfill their potential.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what's going to be most rewarding and and also, you know, um, the byproduct of that, I think, is if you have that value where you are doing it for that deeper reason, you're actually going to over you're going to have more longevity in doing it and get more, you know, personal gain out of it anyway because you you you, you can't sustain doing something when it's just about, you know, I need this right now and you have to just keep, you know, you like you feel like this, you just like absolutely you know, you're tense and anxious and forcing things all the time. Whereas if it's about something bigger, then that's, you know, you can dedicate your whole life to that and it can form in many different ways. And Well, I and mean, that's like, that's about yeah. flow,
0: you know, so that's yeah, about finding yeah. flow in your life and knowing that you're on the right, the right path and that takes time. You know I, know, I know some people who are in their 40s or more and they still haven't quite worked out what it is, you know, that they want to do and that's okay. I mean, so long as they're asking the right questions and yeah you know not being told by other people how they should live their lives
1: <laughs> I think that's the main thing isn't it being able to just yeah make let go at your own pace and do you know make decisions that you know and I think like the gut always if you can listen to your gut it always knows the answer you can just you can feel it so when we go against it that's when we feel like uh oh, something doesn't feel right here uh so being able to trust that. Um...
0: Yeah, I mean, following your intuition, uh, your <clears throat> gut intuition, whatever you want to call it, is really a critical factor. And to listen to those to those messages, they could be very subtle, but they usually know. And if you start to really tune into that higher consciousness and do raise your consciousness as a human being, it's much easier to tune into... Um, those messages for yourself. And then you can start to make better decisions for yourself, better decisions about who you spend time with, about you yeah. know your work and your career, um, you know, what, what, what it is that you want more of your legacy to be and um, yeah, those sorts of things.
1: Yeah. So from looking at everything you do, what I was really interested in asking you is how do you actually manage juggling everything i mean going and having this singing career uh you've got the businesses you're involved in you've got charities i know i can only relate to my own you know personal experience you know i'm pursuing acting and building my career in you know the mental health work i do and it's always a pretty tough juggling act but looking at what you're doing i was really interested to ask you how do you how do you manage it all
0: (sighs) (laughs) It is Look, it is is an enormous challenge, Um, but it's also very exciting. So one of the things that I've really resisted um, in my career and my life has been being boxed into a box, you know, so Tanya the singer or Tanya the social entrepreneur. That doesn't mean that other people don't always want to put me in boxes, so people go, oh, you know, you're, you're a soprano, and they don't even acknowledge that I'm a social entrepreneur. They may not even know it. And vice versa, you know, there's people who know some of my business or my social enterprise work that have no idea, for example, that I sing. And it's like, actually, why can't we be all these things? We're multifaceted human beings, you know, like a beautiful diamond that has, (laughs) you know, many, many different sparks of potential, and um so yeah i consider myself really lucky to be able to juggle a whole lot of different things um and so a normal day could be anything from normal times if there is such a thing i don't (laughs) but you know like it might be anything from you know presenting a keynote or a performance um through to writing an article to to managing some of you know uh my teams I have a number of people reporting to me across different organizations um I also have an enormous amount of meetings uh then I write a whole lot of proposals coming out of the back of them so yeah I mean look to be honest I don't sleep that much I do I I can't say that my life has been (laughs) the most balanced though I love what I'm doing so in many ways
1: um yeah, it's not work for you, I guess. Yeah, so, a lot yeah. of
0: what I do doesn't feel like work. Um, certainly yeah. the performing, the speaking are things that are a great joy. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of work that I'm doing at the moment with Mind Medicine Australia and so on that is quite procedural and um, it's much more in a health-focused sort of system. And so, there's a, yeah, there's probably more rigidity around some of that work. But in general, I actually really like just juggling different things. And, um, you know, I'm also at the moment working on an amazing project with my mum called Driftwood, which is a book she wrote two and a half years ago. Her life's opus really about my grandparents, the invention of the foldable Mm. umbrella, their escape from Europe, from the Nazis, rebuilding their lives. Amazing piece that we're turning into a music theatre piece for the stage. So I'm also juggling that particular piece. But... For me, it's really important to have those creative outlets alongside everything that I'm doing so that I do feel plenty of
1: energy. Um- yeah, well, what I was wanting to ask, you know, as you're saying that is, do you feel like if you didn't have those creative outlets and that you you, were, you didn't continue, you know, pursuing the singing and the other um, creative outlets uh, that maybe you wouldn't have had as much success on the business front because that probably, yeah, it f- probably they fuel each other almost.
0: Yeah, they do. I mean, th- there's something about the creativity, particularly around singing, for example, singing with other people. It really is like it's a, I could, you know, when I'm going to the choirs and things, for me it feels like a weekly therapy session. Like it's so energising. You can be yeah. feeling down. Within five minutes of going into one of our With One Voice choirs, you'll feel really like, wow, you know, and, and you start yeah. to feel a great sense of gratitude and stuff like that so singing itself for me is a great form of energizing it's my, my energizing battery super duper wonder drug um yeah. but then also the other thing is you know these these mind medicines the medicines that we're working with in mind medicine australia the psilocybin some of the other psychedelic medicines and so on they are when taken in the right way with the right intention you know in in clinical environments um they are also incredibly energizing because it's like you're cre- clearing all your rubbish away when you use these medicines properly some people describe using these medicines as resetting or rebooting <laughs> your computer you know and or defragging the faulty hard drive that is all yeah. the, the baggage we're carrying around with us and so if you work with the medicines in an intentional way, um, you know, not too often, not at all suggesting, this, is, this might be every few months or something, it has that sort of wonderful effect of clearing, clearing you out and then giving you an enormous amount of energy, Um, which means you become more productive more creative and obviously it also helps you to deal with any sort of issues that are coming up for you either physically or mentally or spiritually that are that are actually taking some of your energy away because they're you know because you're feeling more submerged by negativity or the weight of certain issues that you can't get through and that you can't resolve
1: yeah yeah no absolutely and um, I guess just on the point you made earlier as well, I just think it's so important about, you know, being able to, I think for anyone listening to this, you know, not having to, you know, you talked about how people like to label someone as just one thing, you know, we're not any of the one things that we do. It's like, you're, you've got to be okay that I'm, I'm enough already, but why can't I do this or this or this? And, you know, I'm so fascinated by what you're saying. Cause I've found the same thing when, I started pursuing acting, people were saying to me, well, if you want to have an acting career, you have to, you can't go and do a business as well. You need to go and go all in on that. And my instincts were, were no, well, you know what, they are working really well together. And what's happened for me is I've now got my own business. I can live, I spend a lot of time living overseas and the business actually gives me a support system to keep pursuing the acting and whether the acting career takes off or not, I get the same thing you're talking about out of that. I it rejuvenates me, and it's such an outlet. And a lot of the actors that I see, that you know, the majority that are pursuing it, they are all in on it, and it's dramatically affecting their well-being because they have no support system, and then they don't they don't perform well anymore because they are doing it for the wrong reason. And it's just I don't know. I just it frustrates me so much because you just you have to go. You almost get to a point where you need to not tell people what you're doing because they'll try and talk you out of it. It's like, yeah. (laughs) It's true. And, you
0: know, like, look, a lot of people, if you, you know, a lot of people, particularly in the arts, I think, think that if you're not doing something a hundred percent, then you can't be serious about it. And I've certainly experienced that with my, with my singing. It's like, well, Tanya can't possibly be a serious singer if she's also running this charity and doing these other things and speaking and whatever, yeah. My argument to that would be that actually it makes me a better performer um, and it, it means that I'm coming to it afresh all the time. It's a great outlet. I don't have to 100% depend on it. And I think that um, also, you know, I, I rest my voice in between times and, and, you know, I think my voice is in the best condition it's been in just because... I do have a balance of different things I do in my life and I'm not just burning myself out doing one thing. And, you know, and imagine like right now, if my whole career was based on performing, well, I I would have no money, I'd be desperate. And luckily I actually do have a few different irons in the fire and yeah, look, you know, of course, if a person can be 100% dedicated to an art or to any profession and, and that satisfies them, that's fantastic. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having a number of different activities that you're juggling in your life, and it makes you a much more interesting person, yeah. Um, as well, so that's just uh, I think it's just better for you as a, you know, it means you're unlocking more of your facets.
1: It's healthier, and I, I think, like you said, it actually, ironically, makes you a much better performer because then you're you're experiencing so many different facets of life that you can then bring into the performing and. And you're you're gonna have a different view on it, so it's like yeah, it's really important. Um, do you have uh, daily things that you do uh, that keep you grounded? Um, I mean, I guess for example, I you know I exercise and meditate and do different things. Um, and we always like to try and ask the guests, you know, what can we learn from you in terms of your daily habits that maybe someone listening could into their own life do you have um daily things that help you I have
0: heaps of things yes yeah. so, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um yeah. so yeah i guess you know just really briefly you know so i wake up in the morning i usually visualize what i've got on that day and i visualize how i want those things to to occur you know so if i've got a really important meeting you know how that meeting's gonna eventuate and what's going to be the outcome and or if i've got a performance i visualize how i'm going to connect with the audience what they're going to feel you know and just So I do a lot of that. Um, Similarly, at the end of the day, and I'll come back to the middle of the day in a second, but at the end of the day, I usually do a gratitude process. So I think of at least five things that I'm grateful for, um, and quite often more. It might be I go through through the whole day from when I woke up to, you know, lying in bed that night and going, I'm so grateful that today was a beautiful day or my dog or you know, that I have such a fantastic mum or, you know, um, and it can be basic things. It can be, you know, I'm so grateful for the gifts I've been given or just being able to see a beautiful rose outside. You know, it, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Um, so I find that really valuable as well. I also have a practice at night sometimes if I'm feeling a bit fearful or, you um, you know, which has been happening a bit lately because of the uncertainty around the whole environment that we're we're living in. Hmm. So I, I might, you know, breathe in love, let go of fear, breathe in love, let go of fear. And I might do a whole routine of breath practice just to bring in more love and let go of fear and just, you know. Um, I also, I that, yeah. yeah, during the day I do try to spend some time as much as I can, you know, in nature, whether that's just simply smelling a rose or going for a walk, um, spending time, you know, with, with my dog, um, you know, with my, obviously with my husband and people that I love and care for where I can. And then um, I eat incredibly well. So I'm like really focused on nutrition Um you know, I generally actually, I do intermittent fasting from dinner until usually, you know, 12 or 1 o'clock the next day. So I might just have celery juice. Love the celery juice protocol. As <laughs> you, <can. laughs> um, you know, lemon and water in the morning, then at half an hour or an hour later, organic celery juice. But I probably wouldn't eat for quite a while. I might do some exercise if I can. It would usually either be stretching, yoga, uh, some kind of, you know, or or swimming a few laps or something like that, just to try and centre myself. Um, And I just find that really just creates much more calm for me for the rest of the day. So I try and do that sort of thing. But I don't do it all the time. But
1: I do try. As much as you can.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. Um, And... I try to eat as much organic food as I can as well. And yeah, and I've been trying to go to bed a bit earlier. I've I've always been a bit of an insomniac and, you know, I do do a lot of stuff. So I tend to work a lot at night particularly on my creative projects, but yeah, I'm just trying to see how I can rejig my body clock, but I'm a night owl and I've got to just accept that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Some things, you know, we don't have to get everything technically perfect but sounds like you do so many things daily that are super healthy and i mean intermittent intermittent fasting so many people are talking about now and i mean the benefits are pretty massive um, yeah i mean been fasting
0: now. is i find it really good it unleashes a lot of energy mm. and i think it's very good for my immune system it just takes some of the pressure off you know the digestion and you know we most of us eat way too much food yeah um and you know I think also if, you, if you're fairly sensitive, and I'm quite a sensitive sort of person, a bit of an empath, I find that if I eat the wrong foods um, in particular, it really starts to trigger other things. So I don't, no. have, any, I don't have any red meat um, at all. I pretty much stay off dairy and gluten and, you know, all of that sort of stuff as well.
1: And is that why you're saying you, you're saying you don't drink much either? Is that sugar, this, sugar's the, worst. the same thing? Should yeah.
0: This, so I should have said that. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. I look, I don't really like alcohol and um, so I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of, out of having alcohol. Um, I don't miss it in any way. And um, yeah, I, I think I prefer my hot water with lemon. <laughs> <Like
1: how well. laughs> get more value out of that these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, and the salary juice, yeah, I'm sure you'd be looking forward to that after not eating for um, all those hours. <laughs> no, you get quite used
0: to it. Actually, it's it's amazing. Like, you know, after a while, I think if I do happen to have breakfast in the morning, I think, oh, that weighs me down. I don't enjoy it at all.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's we we adapt. Um, so, you know, to negative or positive things, we can adapt so quickly, and it's amazing you know,
0: how quickly we can form. You know a good habit or a bad habit for that
1: matter yeah. yeah massively either way and I think what happens with people when you're stuck in the negative um and you know it's happening right now with COVID people are alcohol consumption's gone up you know comfort eating people are putting on weight and 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 we tell ourselves that we can't um cope if we take those vices away but we we actually can we can replace them with positive positive things
0: yeah, you know, one of probably one of the best things about this period, if you can do it, is, is to really try and focus on your health and well-being. You know, yeah. people are at home, which means that, you know, just don't buy stuff that you don't want to eat. Don't put it in your fridge or your cupboard. Just get things that are going to give you positive nutrition and, and really good energy and, you know, stretch in your lounge room and try not to watch the news. <laughs>
1: Probably the biggest one, isn't it? Limit, you know, maybe like spend a couple of minutes a day getting the essential information, and that's probably yeah, more than totally. enough. <laughs> it's so it's important. Too much.
0: It's so important. And, you know, you spend some time writing and listening to beautiful music. That's the other really important thing, I think, is just listening to music that can take you into a different dimension.
1: Yeah, yeah, having that time out and, um, and do you think it, people are, are spending a lot less time listening to music and things like that because of just the, you know, overwhelming amount of noise that we have through media, social media, you know, mindlessly like scrolling through things, just, you know, we're sort of numbing ourselves. like.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people are just numbed out by the current circumstances and, you know, have stopped doing a lot of the things that normally would give them a sense of um, self and a sense of, you know, um, joy and,
1: yeah.
0: and and also hope. And, you know, and I think these things are quite critical to have in your life if you're going to maintain a sense of balance during a period of time that is very difficult. And also I think it's important as well to have that, um, to be doing these things so that you can actually then start to question what's going on externally it's hard to question what's going on externally if you're floundering internally
1: i don't think you can can you and and on that note of you know you were saying the external and internal it's i think that's you know just the and we won't go into this in detail because we could probably talk about this all day as well but you know societies i just think it it it's so crazy how we've societies literally structured in the polar opposite way that it should be we're taught that we're only enough if we get all these external things and we don't work on the internal and it's, that's basically like saying, okay, I'm going to uh, set up a situation where I will never be happy or have peace of mind because we can't control a lot of things. And even if you get the external things that are meant to make you happy, if the internal is not right, you're not going to be happy. So it's like, it's crazy the way where, you know, yeah, no, talking.
0: I mean, you know, this is, this is extremely important and this is why meditation for example, and yoga are so important as practices, and also working with with these medicines, these mind medicines, because
1: mm. they
0: do absolutely force you to go into inside to start to really get to know yourself and start peeling off the layers of the onion. And it's really only from that place that you can really start to have more uh, beneficial external effects, I think, and just start mm. to look at the world in different ways um but we don't get taught that at all we don't get
1: taught it no we don't um (laughs) before we go into the final questions here can you tell me about mind medicine australia and also where can people go if they want to learn more and we'll we'll put links to all of this as well but yeah just for anyone listening what
0: there's a wonderful little animated video the short video you would have seen it i definitely just putting that with it (laughs) but Look, my husband, uh, Peter Hunt, and I founded Mind Medicine Australia two years ago, nearly two years ago. We launched it at the start of 2019. And the goal is to make sure that uh, psychedelic-assisted therapies become available to treat people who are suffering with mental illnesses, including depression, PTSD, end-of-life anxiety through a terminal diagnosis, addictions. And these medicines are now also being trialled for um, eating disorders like anorexia, obsessive-compulsive disorder, a whole range of addictions, and Mm. um, also for um, dementia and cluster headaches.
1: (laughs) Wow. So big application, yeah.
0: Huge application. So these medicines um, were used for over 50,000 patients in the 50s and 60s. They were considered the next big thing in psychiatry. Um, they were made illegal by President Nixon, not for scientific reasons, but for political reasons. And unfortunately, the impacts of that um, have meant that for the last nearly 50 years, we have, Western civilization, have been deprived of these medicines by and large. They're still used and have been used tribally in many human civilizations and tribes since the beginning of human civilization. But sadly, we have this massive mental health crisis and Mm. the current treatments like antidepressants and psychotherapy only work for a maximum of about 35% of patients, whereas these medicines are achieving remission rates of up to 80% in 120 current and recent trials. And, And that is after just two to three Sessions with the medicine combined with psychotherapy. So instead of having a life sentence of depression or anxiety or addiction or whatever it happens to be, patients are actually getting well. They're able,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, you know, they're able to lead meaningful lives, contribute back into their communities, work, you know, have wonderful, fulfilling relationships, because they're getting access to these particular treatments. I'm not saying, by the way, that antidepressants and psychotherapy don't work for some patients. They absolutely do. Um, But they don't work for enough patients. So, you know, some 65% of patients are not getting better. And that's why our mental health statistics are getting worse. So Australia's mental health statistics, even before COVID and the bushfires, were second bottom in the world, only ahead of Iceland. Um, So we have a lot of work to do our mental health system needs an enormous amount of reform. And this is one way in which um, we can change the paradigm for the treatment of mental health. So one of the things that gets spoken about a lot in mental health uh, conversations, I guess, in Australia is talking about you know, better patient access gateways, more therapists, more telehealth, and all these sorts of things, but actually, what no one really talks about very much is the lack of treatment options. Hmm. So there's no point having like lots of extra telehealth or lots of different patient access gateways. If patients don't have access to and practitioners don't have access to treatments that are actually going to work and make people better. Absolutely. So that's what we're focused on um, with mind medicine Australia, which is incredibly exciting. And um we're starting to make some real headway. We've got um, four key pillars of our strategy, education and awareness. So one of the reasons I'm talking to you, um, making sure that people understand the medicines, how they work, the science behind them, removing the stigma. We run regular events, webinars. We've got a major summit planned for 2021. We've got chapters all around Australia so people can start Mind Medicine Australian chapters, so they can educate their own communities, raise funds, etc. We've also started a certificate in psychedelic-assisted therapies for practitioners, so psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists, GPs, drug and alcohol counsellors, mental health nurses, social workers, and so on. So the first two intakes of that will be next year, and that's the first ever in the Southern Hemisphere course. We also um, Uh, working on the development of a centre of excellence in emerging mental health therapies in partnership with with the university for applied research and development for these medicines, growth and manufacturing of the medicines. And then we're also looking at the legal and ethical frameworks for the medicines. So at Mm. the moment, um, they're available through SASB, special access scheme for specific really hard-to-treat cases through psychiatrists. But we've just put in rescheduling applications to the TGA for both MDMA and psilocybin assisted therapies. And they've just gone open for public consultation now till the end of September. And this is an opportunity for any patients with lived experience and therapists and others, government and lawmakers and others, to make sure that these medicines um, are rescheduled from schedule nine, which means they're prohibited substances, to schedule eight, which is controlled substances where they can be used for medicinal therapeutic purposes, and also makes it much easier to research them in the trials as well.
1: Yeah, uh, incredible. Well, and if people want to learn more that are listening, um, where's the best place just to go to the website? Would that be the best starting point? Yeah.
0: Um, MindMedicineAustralia.org, and we're a registered charity, so please support us, we donate all our time, energy, money, everything to this work Yeah. Um, because we see it as so prospective and, and we can potentially help millions of people.
1: Um, That's incredible. And
0: this, but this relies on all of us. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Not just us. But, you know, we all need to work together to make sure there's more treatments available to help people who are experiencing this, the terrible suffering, really. And we know, if, you know, between all of us we know millions of and certainly thousands of people who
1: Mm.
0: have tried and failed with multiple treatments and haven't
1: got better. yeah no definitely well we'll put all of the links to that and um yeah i think it's an amazing thing that you're doing and um i we just have our five questions that we finish up with here and we'll get through we'll just these can be quick one-line answers whatever comes to mind but um you know, thank you for sharing all of that. And I, I love all the work you're doing. And I think it's, it's, you know, it is inspiring what you're doing and it's going to make a huge difference or it is making a difference. So yeah, it's, it's really, really great. Um, so the first one we have is, and again, this can just be whatever comes to to mind as your first thing that you think of, but, um, best childhood memory. <laughs> best
0: childhood memory. Wow. 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 Um, Sorry, I've just got to think about this. <laughs> I think my best childhood memory is um, all of the collecting shells and, and making shell jewelry and and selling it to all the neighbors.
1: <laughs> Do you yep.
0: I was an entrepreneur? <laughs> Not that. Yeah, the...
1: <laughs> there you go. yep early. yep you got into it early. Um, And again, just one line answers for these, because these are the kind of questions where we could probably talk all day about. But what do you think is the biggest burden on mental health currently in society?
0: Lack of treatment and lack of innovation in treatment.
1: Um, Yeah. That's, yeah. Yep. Um, Where do you see mental health in 10 years time? Do you see things, I mean, again, a complicated question, but more, do you see things improving or the problem getting worse or a bit of both?
0: At the moment, I see the problem is getting worse uh, because we have this major crisis now and I think there's going to be generations of, you know, me- millions of young people who are going to be traumatised by the current situation. Um, so it's going to be imperative that we, that we adopt these new treatments so that people have a chance of living meaningful lives. I think if, we, if these medicines become available, things could look far better.
1: Yeah. Uh, what, what would you say is your personal definition of happiness?
0: Um, my personal definition of happiness is um, being able to share my gifts with other mm. people um, and help them to unlock their potential and use my talents for good. It I love gives that me a, a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy in giving. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's great. That's a really good message. And final one here, uh, What? And I, there'll be a whole bunch of these. So just, I guess, I guess, whatever you think of, but most courageous thing you have ever done?
0: I'm probably setting up this charity. <laughs> 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 I mean, there's lots of things, but... Um...
1: There'll be many, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, setting up this charity has taken a lot of courage because my husband and I are not medical practitioners, and but and we don't pretend to be, by the way, either. We surround ourselves with others, but it's a difficult field because a lot of people have vested interests and feel like they know the answers, but actually, um, it's it's very complicated and we all need to work collectively together if we're going to resolve the mental health challenge. And if we can't resolve the mental health challenge, it's going to pretty much, we're not going to be able to manage any other challenge.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And it is, it is such a complicated thing that there's no, no one stop solution to it. So it's, yeah. Um, that's right.
0: There's lots of things that take courage for.
1: Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. And also it takes courage to talk truth to power and yeah. people to do that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, you've done, you know, so many incredible things and I've really enjoyed, you know, learning about you. I found it inspiring and I think the work you're doing is amazing. So I just want to say thank you uh, for making the time to come and talk to me today. And I think this will help a lot of people, this conversation. And um, I really respect what you're doing. And yeah, thank you again.
0: Well, thanks for doing what you're doing. And it's an honour and privilege. And, you know, I always find it inspirational when I meet people who are following their passion. So keep doing this.
1: (laughs) I will. Thank you very much. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Tanya De Jong for joining me today for Move Your Mind.